You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Good morning. We are talking about Blessed of Pure in Heart. I don't know if you can imagine what might be in this bag. I'll just leave that for just a moment for you to get a, an idea of what. I had to go, I had to search long and hard for that item right there. So you're going to find it here in just a minute. We've been talking about the Beatitudes today, Blessed of the Pure in Heart. Uh, they're, why are they called the Beatitudes? Well, Jesus didn't speak in Latin, but the Bible was later translated into, into Latin. And there's a Latin word, beatus, and that word beatus means blessed. And so these are called the Beatitudes because every one of these eight traits begins with the word blessed are. And so they're called traditionally the Beatitudes. And these blessings are actually eight traits that, that reflect the heart of God as well as God's heart that we are to have for others. And it, they're, they're not meant to be given individually. They're actually meant to be shared together. Uh, the life that they were living in at the time that Jesus shared these, he walked up on a mountain in Matthew chapter 5 and began to give what is popularly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And the life that they lived was a life of oppression, a life of manipulation, unreliable politicians, and a generational racial hatred. It sounded a lot like the world that we live in today. And with this, Jesus walks through the crowd in Judea up a hill near the Sea of Galilee, and he sits down and begins to share the kingdom perspective on life. What's interesting in the way that Jesus spoke is that Jesus often sat down while the crowds would stand up around him. Uh, This is just the opposite environment in which Jesus often spoke and where you guys all sit down, and then I'm the person standing up in the front. Uh, This is the situation in the in the Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus was sitting down and the others were standing up. So Jesus begins to challenge them uh, on their views on everything. Everything about how they looked at politics and government and compassion and life and love and people. And he begins, he sits down and he says, Matthew 5, 3, it begins, Blessed are the poor. Everyone there goes, man, I know what it means to be poor. I want to hear this. And he goes, in spirit. And they're like, oh, I get it. Ah, all right, poor in spirit, like I'm poor in life right now. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, who grieve, who feel like they have incredible loss, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And like, man, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty they, for righteousness. Oh, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who have compassion, for they will be shown mercy. These Beatitudes are all given together. This is where we've been so far. There's eight in total. We're unwrapping each one each week. Uh, Even though they are all shared individually, they're meant to be given together. There's an order. Uh, There's a recognition of our need, poor in spirit. There's a brokenness result, a mourning uh, of of our sin and what we have done, which we are comforted for, which is followed by a meek, Submission to the will of God, which results in a new pursuit, a new hunger and a thirst for the will of God, which is then walked out in compassion and mercy. So you see there's a progression in every one of these. They all work together. Then Jesus says, now it's time to take a look at your heart, to keep an eye on the heart. And that's where we are today, Matthew 5, 8. The next beatitude is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now I have here, now this is obviously not from a human, 
<laughs> this is from a cow, all right? And a lot of times I think a heart, that is so weird. What does that mean, heart? Now, I want you to know something. When the Bible talks about heart, it's actually quite a bit deeper than just the heart. In fact, some of the ancients, they didn't even use the word heart. When referring to the heart, they referred to the word the bowels because they're not talking about the muscle. They're talking about the invisible. And I want you to know right off the bat, as we look at this beatitude, there's something on the surface that we need to know. And that's number one, that Jesus is deeply concerned about your heart. Not just my heart and somebody else's heart, but Jesus is concerned about your heart. And when we hear that word heart, we often think, well, the muscle. But Jesus is not talking about the muscle. He's talking about the invisible. It represents the deeper part of our life. And we're going to find this throughout the scriptures. The heart is not about what you can see. It's about the root of who you are. The heart uh, in Greek, the word used here is the word cardia. And maybe you've heard of that before. It's where we get the words like cardiac, you know, which references to the heart. And in the Bible, the heart represents your will. It represents your attitudes. It represents the inner person. It represents your motives. It represents your choices. It represents the deepest insides of you, just right down deep inside of your soul and spirit. That's the heart. Now, we often refer to it as our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else. Everybody say above all else. Above all else. Guard your heart. Above everything else, guard your heart for everything. Everybody say everything. Everything flows from it. From your heart flows everything. Jesus is deeply concerned about your heart because the heart is the symbol of the control center of your life. It represents your choices, your will, your attitudes, your decisions. But there are two types of hearts, and you're one of these. These two types of hearts have to be examined. I want you to know today we are going to have heart surgery. And I'm going to ask you to go to the great physician today and have your heart looked at. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the conditions of our heart and we're going to see what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the pure in heart. What it means to be blessed by that, what it means to have a pure heart, and what it means to actually walk it out. But there's two hearts. The first one is this. The first heart is the rebellious heart. That is a heart that is apart from Christ. Now, the rebellious heart, it is deceitful. It's emotionally driven. And it is selfish. And our choices and desires in a rebellious heart tend to act selfishly and they cause pain and suffering on those that are around us. We see this in Genesis 6 5, where Jesus, uh, where, where God talks about mankind and he says, This, the Lord saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. See, the rebellious heart, the heart apart from Christ, every intention of the heart is rebellious and is evil continually. We see this in Matthew 15. Jesus, he says, from what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. The things 
that are in your heart are the result uh, or result in the things that you choose, act, and live by. He says, for out of the heart, Jesus says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. For out of the heart, everybody say out of the heart. Jesus is concerned about your heart. And the rebellious heart cannot be trusted. The rebellious heart, apart from Christ, is selfish. Jesus speaks to the heart of those that are hardened and how they do not understand the will and purpose of God. We see this all throughout uh, our lives, and we see this in the Bible. The Bible uh, says that Jesus says specifically that those who have a heart problem have a hearing problem. Because a hard heart keeps you from hearing the word of God, keeps you from believing and accepting and receiving the word of God. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're just frustrated. Could you turn my mic down just a little bit, the highs? Some of you are sitting here right now and you're frustrated just by being here. Every word that I'm saying is just flustering you and irritating you. And, and because your heart is so hard that you're just, you're having a hearing problem. And not only does a heart problem result in a hearing problem, but it results in a spirit problem. Jesus tells us this over and over again, referring to the hard-hearted, rebellious nature of the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Jesus says this in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you scribes, verse 27, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you're like whitewashed tombs, which, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within talking about their heart, you're full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within the, your heart, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, we can look great on the outside. We can look really squeaky clean on the outside. One of the most popular verses on the rebellious heart is Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart, the rebellious heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, that's a rhetorical question. That means there's an answer, but it's asked anyhow. Who can know it? Well, the Lord can know it. I don't know your heart. You might come in here looking spectacular. By the way, you all look spectacular. You look marvelous. And I mean that too, babe. You look, some of you, a few of you know who that is a reference to. Uh, you guys look great, but I don't know the motives of your heart. I don't know how you're looking inside. I don't know what's going on inside. I'm more concerned about what's going on inside than how you're looking on the outside right now. Because the heart can be desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, the Lord can. A heart unsubmitted to God is wicked. But there's a second heart. There is a surrendered heart, or you might say a righteous heart. There is the rebellious heart and the surrendered heart, or righteous heart. And this is someone who is in submission to Christ. This kind of heart produces a wellspring of life. A pure heart in Christ results in a new will and healthy choices. We see Jesus talking about this in Matthew 12, talking to those religious folks again. He said, you must either make the tree good and its fruit will be good or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. What does that mean? That means, he said, well, he goes on to say, he goes, for the tree is known by its 
fruit. You want to know what kind of person you really are? What's dropping off the branches of your life? If you truly have a heart that is the Lord's, then what will drop off the branches of your life is going to look different than the other people around you. He gets a little bit more specific. He says, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. I love how Jesus, man, was was so serious with these hypocrites, these religious leaders. They made him so angry. These were the people who were trying to tell people how to live their life and know God, but they were leading them away from God. And he said, man, you guys are a bunch of snakes. You ever been, don't raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. How many guys have ever been to a church and you felt like, man, those guys are snakes? <laughs> he says, man, you snakes, you brood of vipers, you religious hypocrites, how can you speak good when you're evil? He says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says, this is all about the heart. By the way, I want you to know something. You may look great today, but eventually what's in your heart, it's going to come out. When you're angry, when you're upset, when you're frustrated, when trials hit, when a bad thing happens in your life, when there's a death in the family, or when you get flustered, you know what? What's in the heart, it will come out. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so do all kinds of other things happen if our heart is is not in submission to Christ. So what is in your heart? What's going to come out? I guess what I have to find out for some of you. The good person, he says, out of his good treasure, which is the heart, brings forth good. But the evil person, out of his evil treasure, which is the heart, brings forth evil. You see, a heart in submission to the Lord is one that speaks and makes decisions determined to honor and please God. Psalm 37 says it this way. It's almost an echo of this beatitude. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, wait a minute. Didn't the Bible just say that the heart is deceptive and wicked, and now he says he wants to give you the desires of your heart? That's because it's preceded with a submission to the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. God, what do you want? For my life. I want to delight you. I want to please you. I want to serve you, Jesus. When our heart is in submission to the Lord, our heart wants different things and produces different fruit. Okay? Delight yourself in the Lord, submit your heart to Him, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So there's two types of heart. What heart is yours? What's your heart condition? Are you a rebellious heart? In submission to Christ, or are you a surrendered, uh, are you a rebellious heart, or are you a submitted heart, surrendered to Christ? What we learn from this beatitude is uh, Jesus is very concerned about your heart. Number two is that Jesus is not about behavior modification, but inner transformation. Jesus' goal is not to reform society. He did not come to show us a better way on how to just be better people and better human beings. He came to see and to change and make our hearts new. See, the heart is what makes us tick. And if he can change the heart, he can change the fruit. He can change our life through the heart. He didn't come to change your behavior. See, a lot of people think, man, I just need to get off drugs or I just need to stop doing this. Jesus, I'm not here to tell you to stop doing drugs. 
I'm not here to tell you to stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm not here to tell you that you, you know, need to stop using so much profanity and, and stop being an angry person. And st- you know, I'm not, what I'm here to do is help you to understand that Jesus wants your heart. And out of the heart, out of your heart, fruit that will be different will come forth. See, a lot of times we just try to fix people's behavior, but there's never going to be a change unless there's a transformation. We see this when Jesus is talking to the hypocrites in Matthew 22, uh, 23, sorry, verse 25. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the outside of the cup. Uh, He said, you blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate. That's the heart that the outside may also be clean. It makes me think of this moment when I had just mowed the lawn and I was really, really thirsty. It was really hot, Texas summer, mowing the lawn, no fun. So I go inside and there's this pitcher of tea in the refrigerator. I'm like, "Mm, ice cold tea. I'm an unsweet tea kind of person. Anybody unsweet tea? Who's a sweet tea person? Raise your hand. All right, keep your hand up if you're from the south. All right, I'm just curious because I'm from the north and we don't, we don't sweeten our tea up there. That's just weird. So, and there, what is sweet? There's like lightly sweet, really sweet, like eating sugar, you know. There's the three levels there. Um, so I, unsweet tea, my wife's so good at making unsweet tea, but nobody likes unsweet tea in the house but me. They all like sweet tea. They're southern gals. So uh, I go in and I'm like, man, tea, and I'm pouring me a big glass. I go, 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 go. I'm drinking it down. I'm just so thirsty. And I drink it down, I, I drink a second glass, and I'm drinking it down. I'm like, man, this is so bitter. Why is this so bitter? It just tastes, it makes my mouth like, like really weird feeling, you know. So I go to get in the third one, and so I take the lid off. It was a plastic pitcher. I take the lid off, and I look inside, and it's covered with mold. Just completely covered with mold. And so... On the outside, it looked great, (laughs) but on the inside, it was bitter and nasty and gross, and I ate, I drank two glasses of it. (laughs) Have you ever pulled a a mug out of the pantry, and it looks clean, and and then you go to, to, you fill it up, and you drink out of it, and then when you're done, you're like, oh, this didn't get washed. You ever drink out of a dirty glass and you didn't realize it until after you drink out of it? Some of you are shaking your head. Others are like, no, I always look. <laughs> this is what he's saying. You know, some of you, he says, you Pharisees, you look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're bitter, you're self-indulgent, you're full of greed, you're full of envy, you've got wickedness in your heart. You see, God sees what others cannot see. Not only does he see these the false self-righteousness, but he also sees what we think is unrighteousness when God sees righteousness. See, a lot of times we might look at someone who looks like they got it all together. Their clothes look good. Their hair looks good. They know how to sing. They're raising their hands, but you don't know their heart. And then there are others to come in. And you're like, man, they're covered in tattoos or they got weird colored hair or they don't, man, that shirt's kind of questionable and you're not really sure what's with all the shorts. All Do you own a pair of pants type of thing? You're like, and all of a sudden you're judging their righteousness on the outside as well. It's the same. This is what Jesus says. Um, 
when he was talking to Samuel, looking for the next king, he says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. Just because someone looks good on the outside, it doesn't mean they got it together on the inside. And vice versa, just because someone looks like they don't got it together on the outside, doesn't mean that God doesn't see something pretty special on the inside. He says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God is not about trying to change our behavior but he's talking about a change of transformation from the heart. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, a little bit later on after the Beatitudes, shortly after, he says, you've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with his heart. Some of, you know, I can see Jesus saying, some of you have heard us said, don't commit adultery. And they're like, that's right, that's right. And not me, man, I don't do that kind of junk. I don't, I've, I've always been faithful to my wife. I've never done anything like that. I'm a good person. Everybody else who's never done that, where's the stones? Where's the stones? Because I am not that person. But Jesus says, you've heard us said, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's right. Amen, Jesus. Amen. But Jesus says, if you have lust in your heart, man, you've got adultery problems too. He says, I'm not talking about behavior. I'm talking about your heart. There's a lot of problems deeper than your behavior because the behavior can have a shiny mug and a good-looking picture of iced tea, but on the inside it can be gross and nasty and bitter and angry and deceitful and filled with lust and pride. He said the outside may look great, but the inside still may have sin, impurity, and deceit. The heart is where it starts. Our heart matters because the heart is the steering wheel of our actions, of our words, of our attitude, and our choices. That is why Jesus is not about behavior modification, but an inner transformation, which leads to the next thing. Another thing we see on the surface of this beatitude is that Jesus did not come to fix habits, but to fix heart problems. Not to fix habit problems, but to fix heart problems. So I'm like, if I could just get my son to church, man, he would stop, you know, doing drugs. If I could just get my, my, my wife to church, or if I could just get my husband into this church, or if I could, man, if I could just get my, my kids to come, if I could just get my cousin to come, if I could, you know, just get my coworker to come, then, man, those habits, those problems, man, they would all go away. Uh, that, Jesus isn't here to fix your habits. Okay, those habits can be destructive and hurtful and unhealthy, but that's not the problem. The problem is not the habits. The problem is the heart. So Jesus is all about fixing the heart. Jesus illustrates this with a sewing tip. And all the men like, all right, that's, so here's a sewing tip. This is what Jesus said. He said in Matthew, uh, sorry, in Mark chapter 2, he says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old and worse will tear it as a result. Now, I was born in 1969 and the 70s were the age of the patches. Anybody remember those days? Patches, 
uh, in uh, early 80s, there were patches. So, man, you had patches. The, the more patches you had, the cooler you were. Man, you had, a, you had a rip in your pants. You didn't throw anything away. You just put a patch on it, right? You had a rip in the butt. You didn't put a, you throw it away. You put a patch on it. Knees, just put a patch on it. Now it's like it's just the opposite. How many rips can you get in your pants and it still be pants, you know? But I remember those patch days. But, you know, you had to have pre-shrunk patches because those jeans, uh, they've been worn several times. And so they, they were already been shrunk. They've shrunk a few times. So if you take uh, an old pair of jeans that have been washed and pre-shrunk already and you put a new patch and it's not pre-shrunk, what do you think is going to happen when it washes? It's going to tear a bigger hole. It's going to mess up the pants even more. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't put a new patch on an old pair of jeans. He says it's not good for it. He was starting to lose the men, so he moves on to another topic, alcohol. And that's when all the men woke up. So he says this. He says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. Instead, new wine is poured into new wineskins. Now, let me show you a picture of a wineskin. The wineskin was usually made out of an animal, and they would skin an animal, they would boil the skin, and then they would try to scrape off the hair, and then they would sew it together in a pouch inside out. So the outside, you, who knows how much hair is in the inside of those things, right? So they would sew on the out, inside out, so you'd have this pouch or this skin filled with wine. Now what's interesting about Wine is, it releases fermentation and gases, right? We experienced this at the communion table uh, this last month. By the way, we have communion every Sunday right over there as an act of worship during worship before or after service. Uh, go to the table, break the Lord's, uh, 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 break the bread, remember his uh, sacrifice. But um, we, we pulled out the, <laughs> the grape juice that, uh, and it, we opened it and the, the bottle was bulging. And we open it, we're like, it's going to be good communion today. <laughs> Woo! It was a happy service. That's because it released gases. And what happens with these wineskins is they would put this wine into these wineskins, and it would age, and it would ferment, and it would release gases, and it would expand the wineskin. Now, those wineskins were only usable once or twice because after a while they just stopped stretching. And this is what Jesus is saying. The wineskin is our heart. Jesus says, I'm that new wine. He says, I'm like new wine and you're like an old wineskin. And I don't fit your paradigm and I am bigger than that. And just putting a patch of me on your life will not work. Just trying to add a little Jesus to your life, like putting new wine and an old wine skin, just putting a little, a little Jesus in your life will not work. Jesus says, I'm not a fix or a patch to your problems. He says, I will burst your life. I will ruin your life unless you have a new wine skin or a new heart. Your old wine skin, your heart has got to be changed out. Because as the new wine comes in, when you're done growing and, and you've, you've got a rebellious heart that's not flexible in hearing God, God will ruin your life. It won't fit. It won't work. He's not a patch. 
He's not a fix. You can't just add a little Jesus and think it's going to work. Jesus says, no, you need a new life. You need a new heart. You need a new way of looking at life. You need a new spirit. You see, the world tries to alleviate and soften the causes of heart problems all around. We have in our world heart attacks everywhere. And when I talk about heart attacks, I'm talking about child abuse. I'm talking about loneliness, adultery, poverty, addiction, broken homes, violence. We have an epidemic again of school shootings and, and corruption in politics, and, and we're on the verge of war. It seems like every day these are heart attacks happening all around us. And what we try to do is we're trying to fix these problems by fixing the symptom, not the root. See, the problem is not sin, and the problem is not uh, a gun problem. The problem is not a crime problem. The problem is a heart problem. We have a sick and dead and sinful heart. We are heart sick, and these are heart attacks as a result of the sickness of our heart. See, we have a fundamental problem in churches, in our culture in general, the fundamental problem is, as we attempt to solve life's problems without getting to the root of the problem, we tr simply treat the symptoms uh, like cold medicines. Now, uh, our family, we have like terrible allergies. And it's like, uh, you know, I walk out of the car and, and you know, or we have a black car and it's covered with like yellow specks, right? And red specks. And I'm like, <coughs> you know, I'm barely surviving as it is. I wake up with headaches and congestion and I'm coughing all the time and my nose is just perpetually clogged up and you get these headaches and your eyes get burning and it just ex exhausts you right the other day I walked down it looked like it was snowing pollen it was like you could see these white flakes just flying all over the neighborhood I'm like Lord help you know but what do we do we, we go to the antihistamines, right? We go to the, you know, the, the drowsy, you know, keep, you know, at night, help us to sleep, God. My, my headache, my stuffy nose, this, all this kind of congestion issues and, you know. But you know what we're doing? We're not, we're not fixing the problem. We're just going through symptom service, right? What we do is as soon as that, as soon as that medication's over, the problem's still there. It never, it never alleviates the real root, which is you have an allergy issue. And uh, by the way, there's not really much we can do about that except to live in a bubble. That's my next step. Uh, living in a bubble, that's what I want to do. No, I don't really want to do that. See, that's why the gospel is so important to our world. That's why the gospel is so important to every individual. That is why the gospel is so important to our society because Jesus is the only hope for the world. He's the only hope. Another service project won't do it. Another well that's built won't do it. Another boycott won't do it. Another program, another viral video won't do it. A new politician elected in will not do it because the problem is deeper than the symptoms. It's the heart. Humanitarian work cannot bring freedom, peace, or God's true blessing to anyone. Unless we fix the heart, the symptoms will never go away. Now, as believers in Christ, we are called to be agents of compassion and mercy. That's what we talked about last week. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus in action to a hurting world. But those issues and serving people and showing the love of Christ will not fix or alleviate the problems that this world has or that they have as a culture or a nation. 
Could you imagine the blessings that would come if people were pure in heart? Could you imagine how society would be changed if our hearts were changed? If, if our hearts were changed, how nations would be changed? How families could be restored if the hearts were changed? You want to see God in your family? You want to see God in your marriage? You want to see God move in your school? You want to see God show up at work? You want to see God move in our country, in our nation, and in the world? Stop dealing with the symptoms. And let's talk about the heart. That's why the gospel is a message that must be shared individually or as a group, communally, collectively, one-on-one, or together. It must be addressing a heart. must be addressing a heart. I'm not here to change your habits. I'm here to invite you to change your heart. Are you dealing with the heart? Are you dealing with the symptoms? Some of you having marriage problems, family problems, work problems. Are you dealing with the heart? Are you dealing with the symptoms? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So what does it mean to have a pure heart? I'm only going to address this briefly because this week in Life Teams, they're going to unpack this whole idea of what it means to be pure in heart. And they're going to take a look at how to walk out and live this purity in heart and how to have heart-healthy lives. Uh, But basically the word pure means to be cleansed from dirt and filth. It means a clean heart. It means innocent of evil. Jesus says that the center of our will and our choices needs to be pure. A pure heart seeks to have a single-minded devotion to God. We see this in the greatest command in all of scriptures. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? What is the most important thing that we must know in all of the scriptures? And Jesus says this, Matthew 22, he says, Jesus replied, this is the greatest thing I could ever tell you in your entire life. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul. With all your mind, all three of these are reflective of that inner core inside of us where are the symptoms of the heart. This then affects our will. This then affects our choices. This then follows a change in every area of our life. But the greatest is this single-minded devotion to love the Lord with all your heart. We're going to take, again, a closer look at this, at the pure heart in our life teams. Don't miss it. So how is it possible for anyone to have a pure heart? I don't know about you, but I know my heart. It doesn't always look so good. Sometimes my heart is not the way that it should. Sometimes that the, the evil that lurks in the heart, uh, I know is there. And, and there was a situation where, where Jesus uh, brought his disciples uh, together, and they were talking, and a, and a man, a young man who had a lot of money came to Jesus and said, Jesus, man, I follow all the commands of the Lord, and I'm a good person, and uh, I want to be your follower. What do I need to do? Jesus looked at him, knew his heart, knew the condition of his heart, and he told him, he says, here's what you need to do. You need to sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. The Bible says that this young man walked away with his head down sad because he knew he couldn't let it go. Now, a lot of us, we like to think that this is about money because Jesus then said, someone like him, it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is a little tiny gate in, the, in Jerusalem. He says, it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for people like that to enter the kingdom of heaven. We're like, ah, those rich people. It's hard for rich people to go to heaven. That's what he's talking about. This was not about money because we know because of what the disciples said next. This was about a heart problem. 
This could be about any one of you who's white-knuckling whatever it is that you won't let go of to follow Jesus. For that man, it was his possessions and it was his money. For you, it might be a person. For you, it might be uh, some kind of addiction or a habit or something that you won't let go of just to have your heart made new. So the disciples, seeing what happened with this man walking away, knowing that this was a heart issue, they asked Jesus this. And this is how we know it was about the heart. Because he says, uh, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, well, then who can be saved? They knew this wasn't about money. This wasn't about the rich having a hard time letting go of just their wealth. This is about every one of us having a hard time about letting go whatever we treasure. It's about the things in our heart. And the disciples knew this, and they go, well, how can anybody be saved then? How is this possible? Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them, and he said, well, with this, um, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, through the power of the Holy Spirit, from the inside out, things begin to be shaken. So let's go to the great physician. Three challenges on having a pure heart. First one, uh, number, first one, get a heart exam. <laughs> get a heart exam. Get to the table. By the way, the first four Beatitudes are the exam. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Broken, bankrupt, humble, recognizing their need. Blessed are the mournful. Those that understand the pain and the depravity of their sin and what it causes to others. Blessed are the meek. That is an act of submission and surrender to a God who is in control and not you anymore. And blessed are the, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. A pursuit of God's will and way. It says get on the table, check your heart, have a heart exam. I like Psalm 26.2. David says, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my Mind, humbly go to the great physician. Allow the Holy Spirit to convict you. Ask God, what in me needs to change? God, what in me is not reflecting you? God, start with the inside, the things that nobody sees. God, what is at the root of my heart that I won't let go of? Psalm 139. David had uh, just written this beautiful song about the wonder of God and how great he is and how marvelous he is and how he knows all things and how each one of us are great treasures of God, fearfully and wonderfully made and how everything that God does is with intentionality and purpose. He gives this great psalm in 139 and then he says, God, you know everything, so you must know how much these people hate me. So could you kill all them for me? It's like, whoa, just this beautiful psalm and then kill all the people that hate me. Because they hate you too, God. And then all of a sudden, he takes a step back and he realizes, well, wait a minute. If you're going to kill the wicked, that's going to include me too. Because he says this next. He says in Psalm 139, verse 23, he says, well, wait a minute. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the path or the way everlasting. See, Sometimes we like to, to pinpoint other people's heart conditions, but like David, we need to go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a minute. God, what is my heart condition? You need to ask yourself, what is your heart? Are you a rebellious heart apart from 
God or are you a surrendered heart in submission to Christ? Some of you need a spiritual defibrillator. Some of you, your heart is so dead and so hard and so unresponsive. You need to let God jumpstart your heart with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What are your vital signs telling you? Here's the second thing. Get a heart exam, and if necessary, get a new heart. (laughs) Get a new heart. Psalm 51.10, here's what's happening. David had just committed adultery. And not only did he commit adultery, but he caused the husband of the woman who he committed adultery with to be killed. He had a contract out on his life, put him on the front lines of of war, uh, ensuring that he would be dead to cover his tracks. There was a tremendous scandal happening in the kingdom uh, because the girl got pregnant. Not only did uh, did he commit adultery, but now there's a baby and everything's falling apart. And all of a sudden, he's denying it, denying it, denying it. Then there's a prophet named Nathan who comes to him and confronts him. David is broken. He understands a friend able, was able to bring to light the condition of his heart. And through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and with a heart examination, the Bible says he threw himself to the ground and ripped his clothes and began to repent. And then he wrote a song about it. And this is that song in Psalm 51. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David, in a moment of confrontation, called out to God, God, give me a new heart, a heart transplant, Jesus. How do we gain a pure heart? A pure heart is one who is washed clean by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, uh, God is talking through the prophet uh, Ezekiel, and he says, if you will turn to me, people, this is what will happen. He says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That means I will fix your hard heart and make it soft again. I will make it so that you're not just just angry at the words of God or at the conviction of God or or the words that are written about you in the word of God, but you will have a soft heart. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit, and I will remove the hardness that's in your life. In John chapter 3, Jesus calls this being born again, that new life, that new start, that new beginning that transformation from the old to the new. But here's the problem. Some of you have a knowledge and you have a great information about the truth. It's all up in here, but it's never made the three-foot trip to your heart, the two-and-a-half-foot trip to your heart. It's still up here. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, all things are new. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. I want to share with you a video that I think perfectly illustrates this new life that some of you are ready to have if you'll allow heart surgery to take place this morning. (laughs) 
So things haven't turned out as you hoped. Life took a turn. A bump. A darkened sky. And at times it may have seemed there was no hope. But here's the good news. Our God is the God of fresh starts. Our God is the God of new beginnings. Our God brings new mercies, new compassions, not just once a year, not just when things are bad, but every single morning. This season has been tough. And for many of us, things will never be the same. But we are here, breathing, maybe smiling, or crying, or shouting, or laughing. But we are here, feeling, maybe fighting, or cheering, or seeking, or grieving, but we are here living and we are not alone our God is here our God is with us and our God is the God of new creations What's the condition of your heart today? You know, a lot of us, this is all we've known is we give our heart away and it's just abused, kicked around, maybe even given away. I'm going to toss this to you, Sam. I want you to catch it. <laughs> all right. All right. Sometimes uh, we give our heart away. Can you, can you throw that to somebody? Here, give it a, give it a toss. To... <laughs> I want you to go throw it over here to... I'm giving you a heads up here. You can throw it to me. I was going to try to, I was going to try to hacky sack it. You were trying to pulverize me with it. All right, that's what we try to do. Could you hand that to me, Nicole? <laughs> She's like, I don't want to touch it. She doesn't want to touch it. All right, this is kind of the condition of our heart. You know, it's been given, it's been abused, it's been tossed around, and, and we're like, I don't know if God even wants my heart anymore. He does. He does, and he loves you. He cares for you. He is deeply concerned about your heart. He knows that you've got habits and behavioral issues that, that you struggle with, but that's okay. He wants you to give you uh, an opportunity to, to extend uh, your life to him through the symbol, which is our heart. So once we have this opportunity to have our heart examined and we have this new heart given to us, there's a challenge, and by the way, some of you are ready for a heart transplant today, and you're going to get that opportunity in just a second. But after this, then comes a time when we need to make heart-healthy choices, and we have to exercise 
our heart. It begins with salvation through Jesus Christ when God gives us a new heart. Then it continues through spiritual growth as we follow Jesus Christ. Proverbs 3, 5, many of you guys have heard this before, 5 and 6, it says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight or direct your path. You see, the next step, once we surrender our heart and we are made new in heart, that we are now to exercise our heart with a level of trust and submission and following God. And as that begins to happen, we begin to understand what it means to know God's will for our life. Learning to live by the will of God changes the way we think, and it results in a change in the way that we make choices. You see, you don't have to change anything to come to Jesus. Once you come to Jesus and he creates a new heart in you, the things that you thought you had to do, you now want to do because the heart is changed. As the light of God's word reveals impurities in our heart, we begin to deal with them and we begin to change from the inside out and our heart grows grows more and more pure. This is something that the life teams are going to dive into this week. I want to end with this last thought right here. Blessed are the pure uh, in heart for they shall see God. See, this is the reward. This is the blessing of the pure in heart is that you will see God. How will you see God? What does that mean? I believe it means two things. Number one, I believe that the pure in heart will see God in this life as his presence moves among us and is made known around us. You will see him move in your life. You'll feel him move in your life. You'll feel him move in, around, and through you and in your life. Let me put it this way. Some, when they look at the stars and the galaxies at night, they think of constellations. They think of space and, and you know, and, and aliens. But when I see the stars, the pure in heart, they see the hand of God meticulously putting into place every galaxy, every planet, every star, whether they're alive or a vanishing distant memory. God was there putting them in place when, when some look at nature and they look at, they look at wonder and they go, man, when's the next fish fry? You know, uh, what's it like? Uh, you know, how does the grass turn green? And, and these are wonderful things to think of. And they make us wonder. But to the pure in heart, we also see the creator's design intentionally creating the world in a specific order in a way that brings life to those around it and has a purpose and has a meaning behind everything. All struck by his astounding beauty and the glory of his creation. Some of us, when we see a baby, all we see is innocence and purity, and our heart is a bit sad with what we think that baby will face in this life. But the pure in heart, they see the image of God in every fingerprint of every child that's ever born, a child that is born with a mission to know and to live out the image in which they were created. When some read the scriptures, they're just confused. They see an ancient book that doesn't apply anymore, that's out of date, that it just doesn't make any sense, that's archaic and just one of many, many religions. But to the pure in heart, they see a very passionate love letter from a father to his kids. Some people, when they hear the worship music, they think, man, what an arrogant God they must have, that he wants us to sing songs and sing how great he is. Some might hear the band and go, well, they weren't as good as this other band, or they're not good as the bands on the radio or the band I saw last night or last week. But to the pure in heart, we see our passionate, weak, and frail attempts to declare his might and his glory to the very best of our ability. When one sees tragedy and trial, we get angry. Some see 
the anger and the wrath of God. God, if you're good, if you're up there, how could this happen? When some see tragedy, they wonder, surely God doesn't exist, or they think it's just all random, or it's just a, a possibility, and that there's no meaning to life, and that we're just destined to all die. But to the pure in heart, we see the sovereign hand of God at work in everything. What do you see? Because the pure in heart will see God. Not only will they see God in this life as he works among us, but we will see God, the pure in heart will see God in the afterlife welcomed into his very presence. So there will be a day when every one of us here will face God. Some of you will see Jesus and only see wrath. And you will be filled with fear, filled with anger, because of your rebellious heart. But the pure in heart will see a loving master. We'll see a merciful father. We'll see our Savior. For the pure in heart, we will see God. So what do you see? And do you want to see God? Let me pray for you. Jesus, I come before you right now, God, and I thank you, Lord, that you are moving in our heart and in our life. And God, I thank you that in this room, um, Lord, we have people who have uh, who've taken and allowed the Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, or it was the Holy Spirit that did it. It's not something we necessarily allow. It's, it's the Holy Spirit moving in us. And God, some of us, uh, we've had a heart exam this morning, and we've taken a good look at what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And, and many of you here, you're saying, you know what? My heart is hard, and, and it, is, it is rebellious. Some of you, you've been running for God, uh, from God for years, and you've been angry and upset at church and at people in the church, and, and they don't always reflect the heart of God like they should, and so it's turned you off to God, but now you understand that the heart of God is, is wonderful and beautiful and precious, and he's calling you through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to give you that new heart. So if you're here today and you're recognizing your need for him, I want to give you an opportunity to receive a new heart. Let's pray this prayer together. Uh, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Create in me a new heart, oh God. Teach me to walk in your ways as I submit to you in my life. Give me a heart of flesh. In Jesus' name, amen. That does not fix your problems. But if you prayed that prayer in humble submission, then you have a new heart, a new start, and a new beginning where God will begin to work in and through your life in a wonderful and a powerful way. And by the way, this isn't a heart. This is a roast. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, who would like a roast? I'm going to throw it to you. No, better not, because there's some people. Is it grass-fed? <laughs> I'm sure it ate some grass at some point in his life. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.